Good morning and welcome to our live gathering. My name is Eden and I'm happy to be your host this morning. We acknowledge that we meet here on the traditional land of the Stolo, Kwatlin, and Semiamu people. We also acknowledge the tension of living and being here without there ever having been a treaty or agreement with these same nations. Lord have mercy. When I prepare ahead for our live gatherings, I imagine myself right here looking out at all of your faces and it makes me smile even while I'm preparing. And I want you to know that I'm really glad to see you and that you are here for a purpose. This is a very beautiful gathering of folks who not only want to belong, but also are committed to making space for others to belong. If you are here on purpose or by accident, oops, I just smelled the coffee, or out of curiosity or out of obligation because that happens too, please know that you are welcome here. And it's September. Some of us have gone back to school either as students or as teachers or as support workers. And I've been praying for you this week, asking that you will feel the significance of your role in the lives of our children and that our students will experience being valued by their teachers and schoolmates alike. We actually have a middle school teacher who is going to be sharing with us this morning, which feels appropriate, so stay tuned, folks. And um, let me just give you a little layout of this morning. The bathrooms are straight back and to the left as you're walking back, if that's yeah. something you need. Um, and we have communion and the prayer station over on my left, your right. Um, I try to refresh the prompts for each of those stations regularly. So if you aren't sure what to do, like you're thinking, well, I don't know how to take communion myself, there is prompts there to kind of set yourself up to take communion. And um, also with the prayer station, um, if, um, if anyone on our Zoom gathering uh, wants to see the notes for communion and um, the prayer station, can you just put a note with your email in the chat box for Sarah, and I'll get that later and I'll send it to you. Um, if you would like to get a blessing or a quick prayer this morning, I will be standing right over there um, along the wall, and you could just ask me, and I'm happy to oblige. We're going to have uh, sung worship at this point. But right after that, in case this matters, we're going to have a quick uh, break to top up our coffee and tea and take a minute to say hi, folks. So let's pray. Jesus, we followed you here today, whether we knew it or not. And now that we're here, would you please demonstrate your love to each of us this morning? Some of us are hurting. And we ask that you would bring us comfort in our pain. Some of us are overwhelmed. 
Would you bring peace to the chaos? Some of us are uncertain. Would you show us just how close you are to us? Some of us are feeling unloved. Please pour out your love on each of us. And bless Steve and John this morning as they lead us into worship. Help us to notice what you are highlighting for us this morning. Amen. So, Father, we just give you this time. Father, thank you that to live with you means to live with you in all things. In every moment, in every breath, and every day that we're given. So, Jesus, we, we offer you this one. Uh, ourselves and all we have and all you've given us and all we can do to to help others and Holy Spirit just ask for your uh, presence in our hearts and just help us with everything um, yeah with everything Amen It can be really lovely to follow someone into worship who's on a mountaintop of victory. There is something way more. Why do I always cry? It's just so much deeper and more meaningful when it's someone standing in the depths of their grief and they can still sing those words and believe them. Thank you, John. John. Thank, Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, it actually happens to be Pam's birthday today. Um, so, I mean, she's the one who said yes to the date. Um, and I'm pretty sure she knew it was her birthday at the time, but it does have me wondering because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to be preaching on my birthday. Um, Pam is uh, a self-professing nerd who is uh, into science and math and teaches it to middle schoolers. We were talking the other day about having letters after your name, but if she's a math and science teacher for middle schoolers, I think there should be the letters ST in front of her name. Um, she gets all the respect this morning. Saint Pam for those who aren't into it. Anyways, she is also the kind of teacher that cares deeply for her students and has gone to great lengths to introduce them to a God that is relational, loving, and forgiving. I've said it before, but I think Pam is the kind of teacher we all wish we had had. Uh, let me just pray for you, Pam. Jesus, it's been a big week of school for Pam. And now she's here to pour out a bit more of herself for our sake. Would you fill her up as she shares with us this morning? Would you give her a deep sense of your presence with her as she gives us some great news this morning? Amen. Pam Van Dopp.
All right. So my opening line is, I teach middle school. I don't know if we've heard that enough already today. Um, I teach grade eight. However, that was a stretch for me. It was never my grade of preference. I never, ever envisioned myself teaching at middle school at all. See, when I went to university, one of my degrees was in education, but I was specifically and intentionally um, studying to become a high school teacher. My physics and science training put me on this road towards the teenage crowd because I doubt some kindergartner or elementary student, school student would be interested in equations that determine the net force of a particle in close proximity to another one in space without any other forces acting upon it. This is the level of nerdness that I love. I also studied to get a degree in theology uh, with, again, a specific interest towards the high school and college. So I have, I have a youth ministry degree. And I was so interested in these conversations that these old, almost adults have, that they, they come up with these questions and they, they want to make their faith their own and personal. And as you can tell, I really specifically avoided preschool ministry. And it's not that I don't like the young kids, because I feel like my next little bit is going to make it sound like I really don't like young kids. I do. I love them. Okay. But I do think there's something that's slightly scary about them. So even when Sarah took them out, I'm like, okay, that's a little scary. So, okay. She said, I have half an hour until they start coming back in. Um, it's just like, there's a little bit of a scariness with their innocence and their simplicity. Now I have three kids and they're sitting in the back and they didn't want me to point them out, but wave. Hello, everybody. Uh, they're 15, they're 13, and they're 11, and I love being a mom, and I love my kids, and I did love them when they were like little kids, um, but here's the thing is that they were my kids, and I had the inside info on my kids, which made being with them, it was like the best time of my life. Once, when I was dropping off my youngest, Cody, uh, at, uh, in kindergarten, uh, his kindergarten teacher came up to me and was desperate. I've been trying to find a substitute teacher for like two weeks. My daughter's going into surgery. I have to be with her. I cannot find a substitute teacher. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. And I'm like, oh, good for you. <laughs> like, uh, well, wh why are you telling me this? And then it became apparent that I was her like desperate last hope. And she's just like, just, can you just do one day? Can you cover for my class for one day? Like I have, I have no other option. So I, I said yes, um, and, and those kids are lovely kids. They were lovely, and they were like kids of my friends, right? So they're awesome, but when parents go away, and then all of these kids are in this really small room together, uh, there's this, this scariness that happens. It's this unpredictable, beautiful mess of innocence, of helplessness, really random stories, no filter, and just wonder. My life training is to teach kids 16 and up, not six and below. So I survived, but there's no way I'm ever going to teach in a kindergarten class again. <laughs> Elementary school teachers are superheroes, like hands down. My sister is one of these superheroes. She walks into her grade one class and she faces these angelic, simplistic, innocent, somewhat naive, and oblivious students and faces the challenges of answering the questions that usually start with why. That's the scariest. She somehow gets these kids to write their own name 
color in a way that you kind of know what the picture is supposed to represent. And they start to read. How does somebody do that? Again, they are superheroes. And again, don't get me wrong, I love kids. I really do. There's a country song that says, you're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. And I would sing it, but I just don't think you guys want to hear my country twang here. But it's true. I miss those days. And it makes me really want to hold on to these days with my kids right now. And I want to hold them close. But I feel like I'm digressing. Why am I talking about kids? It's because the passage I'm speaking on today encourages us to have faith like a child. And while there's this ideal picture in my mind that faith is supposed to be simple and worry-free, the reality is my faith isn't simple. My faith involves way more questions than I want to admit. And my faith is not this happy-go-lucky swing ride. It's more like this roller coaster of emotions and situations and scenarios that often don't make sense and perhaps never will. And I want to say that being here, like standing here in front of you guys, that I have a lot figured out, but I don't. <laughs> Yay, lucky you. But I don't. And my attitude towards this isn't photoshopped and it's not filtered like he can do an in Instagram. So what do I do when I get frustrated and confused and I feel kind of bad about myself because of a Bible passage? Well, I go into research mode. I don't think any passage is meant to make me feel bad about myself for no reason. So when I looked up child in the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. I had to start somewhere, so child, okay. It's, uh, it states here that childish ways are a blend of powerful innocence and frustrating immaturity. I'll say that again. Childish ways are a blend of powerful innocence and frustrating immaturity. There's something very inspiring and beautiful and relieving to witness the innocence of a child, right? think we can all agree with that well there's another side <laughs> there's another thing to experience their immaturity and this is why I don't understand this phrase that we're supposed to have a childlike faith because it seems to me that in pursuit of us wanting to have the innocence of a child it's also going to make us perpetually immature it makes me think that I'm supposed to be naive that I'm supposed to leap before I look that I'm supposed to dismiss reason and just go for the fun ride but scripture and sages don't encourage us to be uninformed and take reckless steps that could hurt ourselves. Instead, it encourages us to seek wisdom and understanding as a way to guard and to deliver and save and protect a person from what the Proverbs call folly and destructiveness. And that's just it. That's what my core wants. I want to learn. I want to know more about this triune God that breathed the breath of life into me. My heart wants to gain insight. It wants to be like the one that inhabits me. And I need to learn a thing or two about my faith to do so. Scripture also says that this is a very natural response to our relationship with Christ. God delights in those who seek this type of spiritual maturity. Solomon writes, how blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. It's Proverbs 3.13. And then Paul, he encourages us to move on from the milk and grow up to be able to handle the solid food that comes with growing spiritually. So then how do I reconcile this thirst for a maturing faith and this advice to be childlike? One of the passages that we're looking at for this week says this. 
I think there's a typo in it, unless she fixed the typo. In that hour, Jesus was teaching about taxes before this. Okay, in that hour, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the realm of the heavens? Jesus, I like how he doesn't answer the question. He just was like, a, he called a child who he placed among them and said, truly, I tell you, lest you all be changed and become like children, you all will never enter the realm of heavens. Whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the realm of the heavens. Whoever receives one, one such child in my name receives me. Now, if you read this closely, there's no word that says have a childlike faith. In fact, the word faith isn't even in there. And in fact, this phrase to have a childlike faith isn't actually found in any parts of scripture. It's a very common cultural and spiritual phrase that has its roots in this passage, but it's not actually found in this passage. So let's look at what's going on here. Jesus just finished chatting about taxes. Yay, riveting topics. <laughs> so we're entering into this conversation where people were talking about the powerful and those who didn't have power, those who were the rulers and those who were the subjects, those who gained and those the ones who had to give. And so given the conversation that was just happening, the disciples were starting a debate amongst themselves about who among them were the greatest. And this is cross-referenced in Luke. And therefore, they were trying to figure out, well, who's going to be greater in this kingdom that Jesus keeps on talking about? And they couldn't come to a conclusion. And it was turning into this kind of ego fest among them. So they turned to Jesus, you know, the guy in charge. He'll let them know. And Jesus, probably frustrated at actually how childish this conversation was, called out a kid to make his point. Come here, kid. Unless you become like this child you're never going to enter the kingdom. Now, it's just as true in our culture as it was in Jewish culture back then that kids are not supposed to be your, the parent's role model. Kids aren't the ones that advise us on our finances, show us how to run a family, show us how to make some ethical decisions in our workplace. They don't make the rules. They don't teach work habits. They don't, can you tell that I'm a teacher, work habits? They don't teach that. I have to teach that. Trust me. They don't show us what is socially appropriate. This isn't their role. And so Jesus, in taking the child and making this kid the role model for the kingdom of God, was a little bit, I don't know, shall we say upside down? You can almost hear the in the background. Here we go again. One of Jesus' weird analogies. But then he clarifies that he's not talking about making our faith like a child, but to humble ourselves like a child. Ah, it's not about our entire faith resembling a child, the innocence and the immaturity. It's about an attribute, an attitude, a characteristic. It's talking about humility, a characteristic in children that slowly fades away as they journey to adulthood. Have you guys ever noticed that? Like when my kids were in kindergarten and there was like, birthday parties, they just, they wanted to invite everybody. There was no like picking and choosing. There was no like, well, they don't like me and they like me. And, and it was girls and boys. It was like, everybody was invited when it's in kindergarten. And when you send them off in groups in kindergarten, they didn't care who they were with. They just wanted to have fun. And then somehow like, 
don't know, it's like grade three or four, they start to notice. They started to notice that like, there's, there's different people around them and that like adults can be scary and some adults are not scary. And like, there's rules, like the principle you have to listen to, but like maybe some other adults are, you don't, maybe like the weird kindergarten teachers that aren't really supposed to be there, maybe, <laughs> right? Like, so there's this, this, this thing that they don't know. Uh, they don't know how to, they slowly unlearn as they grow up how to be, they unlearn how to be humble and they're slowly taught to listen to their ego, to uphold unjust systems, to respect power differences, to participate in comparisons. And if you want to learn more about the topic of power and privilege, like seriously, you guys need to go on the podcast and listen to Myron's talk from a couple of weeks ago. Trust me, it's worth it. But Jesus' words here, they were the ultimate retort to a useless conversation about who ranks highest in the kingdom. The problem with the disciples' question and why it was so useless was that they were making the kingdom of heaven about them. The kingdom is mentioned a lot in Jesus' ministry, and it's called many things. He refers to it as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of his father, but it's never called the kingdom of humanity. The kingdom is about resembling the relationships of the triune God, not bringing our egocentric relationships into fruition. We've been invited because of Jesus, not because of how we look compared to the person next to us. Instead of worrying about who we are using society standards, Jesus said in a very simple statement that we should be worried about whose we are. The child is an illustration of taking power and exchanging it for belonging. It's about taking pride and exchanging it for humility. We fall down and we lay our crowns. The crowns adorned with achievement, with prestige, with all the things that make us think others are less than us. We lay those down at the feet of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Like our titles, our hard work, they mean something, like they do. But they mean something only when they're in the context of helping and encouraging others. The minute our accomplishments and our titles create this power differential, we're interacting with the least of these is despised. Well, we lost the kid in us. We lost the humility in us. And oh, to be a kid again. To be a kid is to recognize the greatness of who we are with. In a crowd, when my kids were young, they couldn't recognize somebody's reputation, their financial status. I mean, unless a Lambo was driving up. Right? Okay, they didn't notice the financial status, the position in society, or the rank on a social ladder. They didn't know if a person was an influencer or how many friends they had in Facebook land or how many likes they had in Instagram. They didn't tell you what level you needed to reach to be smart or successful. They couldn't decipher if someone was deeply hurting or if they were just shy. But my kids knew who they belonged to because they clung to me and my leg in a crowd. And that's the thing about being a kid. They're all kind of powerless, helpless, desperate, and lost without the person that takes care of them. Their mom or their dad, their grandparent, their aunt, their uncle, their care worker. But put them in a spot where they feel like they belong they're empowered. Kids can do amazing things when they're empowered. And so this picture that Jesus is giving is just so powerful and it's so beautiful. 
because we too are powerless and completely lost without our connection to the triune God. But when we know whose we are, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit too. James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and the Lord will lift you up. God is going to give you a position that he set out for you. And once we realize that we're, we're not supposed to be childish, but we're supposed to take on the humility of a child, it has a direct impact on our maturing humility-based faith. It just sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. It's a fun idea to play with. How does a maturing humility, what does that look like? So I got five ideas of maybe what it looks like. First of all, it means that we look teachable. We can allow ourselves to taste and see that the Lord is good through our yearning for knowledge and wisdom. We can embrace the humility of a child, just like Martha did. How she longed to be curious and to learn. And sometimes it meant she had to break away from some of the cultural expectations, but she just she was like a kid. She just wanted to learn and be at the feet of Jesus. Second, we become dependent. Just as kids depend on their caregivers, so we depend on God to help us in God's way. Okay, this ain't no prosperity gospel, so don't, don't dig in your feet to me. We depend on God to nurture us and care for us. We depend on God to provide us a safe place when we don't know where else to go to find refuge. We depend on God to give us courage and strength and encouragement to face circumstances, knowing that the triune God is in the thick of it with us. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And so we become like that lady who is perpetually bleeding, who had the audacity to reach out, knowing that she was considered to be little in comparison to Jesus, the rabbi, but she did it anyhow. She knew her dependency on God to care for her was greater than that power differential. Thirdly, we become open about our needs. I mean, kids aren't scared to talk about what they need. I need food. I need a hug. I need to go pee. Like they're very open about what they need. And by embracing the fact that the kingdom is about community and, and communion, we don't have to worry about expressing our needs and being demoted or promoted on a status bar. We can automatically call out to God to provide for our needs, knowing that we can just ask and it'll be given to us. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It says that in Matthew 7, verse 7. Now, God may not give us what we want or how we want it, but God will answer. Fourthly, how we look like kids. We try these crazy spirit-led ideas without giving into what's expected or what would be frowned upon, without thinking of what this is going to look like in others' eyes, what power systems we're breaking, we start to try out these crazy ideas. It's like the kid who had only a little bit of bread and fish and they were looking around and like, how are we going to feed this? And, and the kid's just like, oh, uh, I got something. You can have mine. I mean, as an adult, I'm thinking, what? Like, 
this is a ridiculous idea. Like that's gonna help, thanks kid. But the kid didn't care about the logistics. He just gave out of what he had, humble and unashamed. And fifth, we figure out what's worth sticking around for. Kids, like when they're bored or when they feel uncomfortable or when they're just done with something, they leave. And it's kind of annoying sometimes, but they just, they just walk away. <laughs> You're like, I was middle of talking to you. If you say to a kid, actually, there's one caveat on that. If you say to a kid, there's going to be candy at the end, dude, they're going to stay. Okay. <laughs> Works for middle school still. But if you say to a kid that you want them to stay in a situation where they're going to feel threatened or ignored or pushed down, little kids say, yeah, no, thanks. I'm out. I don't want to play that game. Another passage in the lectionary for today was from 1 Samuel 27. And I'm not going to read the entire passage, but I do want to highlight a couple of verses. And it's said in the time where Saul was like trying to find David and kill him because Saul knew that, oh, David's supposed to be the powerful guy. So let's get rid of the powerful guy. And so David says this, David said to, to his heart, now one day I shall be swept away by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better than that I escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will, dis Saul will despair of seeking me any further within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David got up, went on over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, son of Maoa, ruler of Gath. Okay, so David actually exhibited this maturing humility and said, I'm out. I don't want to spend my time proving myself, vying for power, proving my value when it's futile. God's going to take care of me, and he knows that the best thing for me right, me right now is just to remove, my, remove myself from the situation. So this is what a maturing faith can look like. But I don't want to know just what things look like. There's these outward signs of something that's happening deeper within us. And I want to know why they look like that. What's at the root of it all? What drives this attitude of humility? And I think it boils down to values. God has created us all unique and different. And a part of that is giving us this set of values that are very unique to us. And when we operate outside of the values that are from God, we operate from this ego-centered system, this self-centered system. But when we work within our values, we're free to have this attitude of humility. So for example, if one of your values is hope, then if anything you do doesn't give you hope or doesn't give others hope, then it's probably gonna be ego-driven. Another example, if you, if you value time, if you value a good use of time, then when there's activities that are ego-driven or power-driven, they, they, just, they just don't jive with you. They suck the life out of you because it's not a part of the value system that you have. For me, one of my values is authenticity, which is why I kind of tell you guys some stuff about me that probably I should keep to myself. But I value authenticity. So if something I do doesn't align with what I say or believe, or if I cause someone else to do something that's out of alignment with what they say or what they believe, then it's probably ego-driven. It's self-serving. But if we stay aligned with our values, we will see Jesus and we will know whose we are. 
The passage says, whoever receives one such child in my name, so one such child who's exhibiting this attitude of humility in my name receives me. So if we receive one such person that's operating within their values and reflecting this, this humility, it says we're going to receive or we're going to see Jesus. And it's tough work. Like every single year I have to go through, what are my values? And and am I aligning with them? But I, I'm asking us all to actually take some time to reflect and figure out our values and then receive that child in Jesus' name. Receive and accept yourself when you're operating within your values, when you are maturing in humility. And if you do that, you're going to see Jesus, the one who gives you all the value you need to be part of this real upside-down kingdom. Can you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are asking you to help us to not be like a child, not immature, but we're asking you to help us have the courage and the strength to resemble this attitude of humility that a child just naturally has. God, help us to not grow up with this egocentric system of the world, but give us the courage to grow up in the kingdom-focused world of you. And Lord, help us to see you ever more in every interaction, in every activity, and in ourselves too. Amen. You might not need lunch. You might be chewing on this for a while. That was really good. Thank you, Pam. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like it. Oh, we'll ask you again. Um, I'm just going to close with a benediction. So I'll leave you with this. As we carry the things from this morning into a new week, Jesus, would you show us just how present you are with us? Would your presence with us be a comfort to others who may not sense that you are present with them? Fill us, move us, empower us. Amen. Have a good week.